The views and opinions expressed by various contributors to 98.5 CKWR and its radio programs are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of 98.5 CKWR Wired World, Inc., its broadcasters, staff, or volunteers. Listeners are urged to use their own discernment and draw their own conclusions. Good morning, my name is Rob Daniels and welcome to Visions and Sound. Now for those that may be joining me for the very first time, Visions and Sound is a movie, TV, and video game soundtrack program that I produce each and every week right here on 98.5 CKWR. Well, here we are, show number 51 of 2021 and show 1104 if you are keeping track that way. Well, this week we continue into December with a celebration of the 80th anniversary of the film Citizen Kane. Now, for those that are unfamiliar with Citizen Kane, it is a 1941 produced and directed by film, rather, produced and directed by Orson Welles. He also co-wrote the screenplay with Herman J. Mankiewicz. Citizen Kane was also Welles' first feature film and is arguably considered one of the greatest films ever made. Now, Citizen Kane is consistently voted number one in critic circles. Uh, It topped the American Film Institute's uh, 100 Years 100 Movies list in 1989, as well as in 2007. The film was nominated for the Academy Awards in nine categories. It won in only one for Best Writing Original Screenplay by Mankiewicz and Wells. Citizen Kane is also praised for Greg Tolan's cinematography, Robert Wise's editing, Yes, that Robert Wise, Star Trek motion picture Robert Wise. Bernard Herrmann's music and narrative structure, all of which have been considered innovative and precedent-setting. The quasi-biographical film takes a look at the life and legacy of Charles Foster Kane, in this case played by Wells. A character based on an American, on American media barons William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer. Upon its release, Hearst prohibited the film from even being mentioned in his newspapers, which at the time were quite of the Broadway success, or after Broadway success, uh, Wells of Wells's Mercury Theater, the controversial 1938 radio broadcast also brought uh, Wells to the forefront. That's the War of the Worlds broadcast, 
on the uh, the Mercury Theater and on on the air, Wells was approached by several Hollywood studios. He eventually signed a contract with RKO Pictures in 1939. Although it was unusual for an untried director, he was given freedom to develop his own story, to use his own cast and crew, and to have final cut privilege. Huge back then. After two attempts to get a project off the ground, he wrote the screenplay for Citizen Kane, collaborating with Herman J. Mankiewicz. Principal photography took place in 1940, and the film was released in 1941. Although it was a critical success, Citizen Kane failed to recoup its costs at the box office. The film faded from view after its release, but it returned to the public eye when it was praised by French critics after it was re-released in 1956. I first became aware of Citizen Kane back in high school when I watched it in a film studies course. The film has stuck with me over the years, and I often use it as an example of just where a lot of modern film techniques come from. While a straightforward story on the surface, it is told in an unusual way through flashbacks using different points of view, many of them from Kane's aged and forgetful associates, rejecting the traditional linear storyline and using a cinematic equivalent of the unreliable narrator from literature. Now, the music here was written by Bernard Herman. Herman had composed for Wells at his Mercury Theater radio broadcasts. However, because it was Herman's first motion picture score, RKO wanted to pay him only a small fee, but Wells insisted he be paid the same rate as Max Steiner. The score established Herman as an important new composer of film soundtracks and went against the typical Hollywood practice of scoring a film with virtually nonstop music. Instead, Herman used what was later described as radio scoring, musically musical cues rather, typically 5 to 15 seconds in length, that bridge the action or suggest a different emotional response. The, back, the breakfast montage, for example, if you're familiar with the film, begins with a graceful waltz theme and gets darker with each variation on that theme as time passes. Uh, to the hardening of Kane's personality and the breakdown of his first marriage. Now, Herman realized that musicians slated to play his music were hired for individual, unique sessions. There was no need to write for existing ensembles. This meant that he was free to score for unusual combinations of instruments, even instruments that are not commonly heard. In the opening sequence, for example, the tour of Kane's estate Xanadu, Herman introduces a recurring leitmotif played by low woodwinds, including a quartet of alto flutes. Now, the music has been released in many forms over the years, but the music you'll be hearing today is from a 60th anniversary release from the Soundtrack Factory from 1999. A re-recording by the Royal Scottish National Orchestra, also under the baton of Joel McNeely, will also be featured on today. First, though, we hear some music from the Soundtrack Factory version to kind of set the mood. All of the music used in the newsreel came of uh, the newsreel scene came from RKO Music Library, edited at Wells' request by newsreel department to achieve what Herman called their own crazy way of cutting. The news on the march theme accompanies the newsreel titles is Belgian March by Anthony Collins from the Nurse Edith Cavill story. So just to set the mood here, 
Here is a little bit of sound of music and dialogue from Citizen Kane as we celebrate the 80th anniversary of the film. Back in just a bit. Xanadu, where Kublai Khan decreed his stately pleasure dome. Today, almost as legendary as Florida Xanadu, world's largest private pleasure ground. Here, on the deserts of the Gulf Coast, a private mountain was commissioned and successfully built. 100,000 trees, 20,000 tons of marble are the ingredients of Xanadu's mountain. Contents of Xanadu's palace. Paintings, pictures, statues, the very stones of many another palace. A collection of everything. So big it can never be catalogued or appraised. Enough for ten museums. The loot of the world. Xanadu's livestock. The fowl of the air. The fish of the sea. The beast of the field and jungle. Two of each 
the biggest private zoo since Noah. Like the pharaohs, Xanadu's landlord leaves many stones to mark his grave. Since the pyramids, Xanadu is the costliest monument a man has built to himself. week, Xanadu's landlord was laid to rest, a potent figure of our century, America's Kubla Khan, Charles Foster Kane. beginnings in this ramshackle building, a dying daily. Kane's empire in its glory held dominion over 37 newspapers, two syndicates, a radio network, an empire upon an empire. The first of grocery stores, paper mills, apartment buildings, factories, forests, ocean liners, an empire through which for 50 years flowed in an unending stream the wealth of the Earth's third richest gold mine. Famed in American legend is the origin of the Kane fortune. How to boarding house keeper Mary Kane by a defaulting boarder in 1868 was left a supposedly worthless deed to an abandoned mine shaft, the Colorado Lode. 57 years later, before a congressional investigation, Walter P. Thatcher, grand old man of Wall Street, for years chief target of Kane Papers' attacks on trusts, recalls a journey he made as a youth. And still another opinion. country's entry into one war, opposed participation in another, won the election to one American president at least, spoke for millions of Americans, was hated by as many more. For 40 years, appeared in Kane newsprint, no public issue on which Kane papers took no stand. No public man whom Kane himself did not support or denounce. Often support, then denounce. Twice married, twice divorced. First to a president's niece, Emily Norton, who left him in 1916. Died 1918 in a motor accident with their son. Sixteen years after his first marriage, Two weeks after his first divorce, Kane married Susan Alexander, singer at the town hall in Trenton, New Jersey. For wife too, one-time opera singing Susan Alexander, Kane built Chicago's Municipal Opera House. Cost $3 million. Conceived for Susan Alexander Kane, have finished before she divorced him, the still unfinished Xanadu.
past, no man can say. Cain, holder of mass opinion though he was, in all his life was never granted elective office by the voters of his country. But Cain papers were once strong indeed, and once the prize seemed almost his. In 1916, as independent candidate for governor, the best elements of the state behind him, the White House seemingly the next easy step in a lightning political career. Then, suddenly, less than one week before election, defeat, shameful, ignominious, defeat that set back for 20 years the cause of reform in the U.S., forever cancelled political chances for Charles Foster Kane. Then, in the first year of the Great Depression, a Kane paper closes. For Kane, in four short years, collapse. Eleven Kane papers merged, more sold, scrapped. to change the world. But Kane's world now is history, and the great yellow journalist himself lived to be history, outlived his power to make it. Alone in his never-finished, already decaying pleasure palace, aloof, seldom visited, never photographed, an emperor of new sprint continued to direct his failing empire, vainly attempted to sway as he once did the destinies of a nation that had ceased to listen to him cease to trust him. Then, last week, as it must to all men, death came to Charles Foster Kane. You! On the mark! And with a little bit of music and dialogue from the 1941 film Citizen Kane, that's music and, well, it's music by Bernard Herrmann, with a little bit of help from, and, uh, and I'll just look back at the composer of the, uh, yeah, Belton March, done by Anthony Collins. He was the, uh, the one that did the music for the newsreel that you heard. So this kind of sets the story as to how um, Citizen Kane, with the famous, of course, Rosebud. And of course, for those that haven't seen the film, I'm simply going to say that it's a very interesting way of of storytelling and if you haven't seen the film shame on you you've only had 80 years to do it in any case if you are interested in any of the film television or video game music that i do play here on the show by all means you can contact me at of course visionsinsound at gmail.com you can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound i am on the twitter at Visions Sound. You can also try me on my website, visionsinsound.ca. You can find a lot of stuff there, um, interviews, uh, previous shows going all the way back to the very early days of my show, back into 2000. There's a whole bunch of, of stuff there. If you are into film music, video game music, television music, by all means, visit visionsinsound.ca. There's also uh, visit the uh, the store where you can actually pick up some some wonderful swag, including uh, like sweatshirts and t-shirts and wonderful stuff, mugs and that sort of thing. Uh, you probably won't get it for Christmas, but uh, still check it out. It is a neat way of a gift giving if uh, you want to get a part of it that way. 
So welcome back to Visions and Sound, as this week we celebrate the 80th anniversary of Citizen Kane. Now, in, in 72, Herman said, I was fortunate to start my career with a film like Citizen Kane. It's been downhill, it's been a downhill run, rather, ever since. Wells loved Herman's score and told director Henry Jagelm that it, uh, that it was a 50% uh, responsible for the film's artistic success. High praise, and Herman gets a rather high credit in the, uh, in the film, or right off the bat of the film. The, um, the big one is him, of course, but then there's Herman J. Mankiewicz, and then Bernard Herman gets a huge, um, huge credit off the beginning. Not often done in films of that era. So, Citizen Kane was wrought with controversy from the very, very beginning. To ensure Hearst's life's influence on the film was kept secret, Wells limited access to dailies and managed the film's publicity. A December 1940 feature story in Stage Magazine compared the film's narrative to Faust and made no mention of Hearst. The film was scheduled to premiere at RKO's flagship theater, Radio City Music Hall, on February 14th, but in early January 1941, Wells was not finished with post-production work and told RKO that it still needed its musical score. Writers for national magazines had early deadlines, so a rough cut was previewed for a select few on January 3rd, 1941. For such magazines as Life, Look, and Red Book, gossip columnist Hedda Hopper, an arch-rival of Luella Parsons, the Hollywood correspondent for the Hearst Papers, showed up to the screening uninvited. Most of the critics at the preview said that they liked the film and gave it good advanced reviews. Hopper wrote negatively about the film, calling calling the film a vicious and irresponsible attack on a great man and criticizing its corny writing and old-fashioned photography. Film columnist and Hearst employee Luella Parsons was humiliated by Citizen Kane and made numerous threats to prevent the film's release. On January 10th, Parsons and two lawyers working for Hearst were given a private screening of the film. James G. Stewart was present at the screening and said that she walked out of the film. Soon after, Parsons and Schaefer and had threatened RKO with a lawsuit if they released Kane. She also contacted the management of the Radio City Music Hall and demanded that they should not screen it. The next day, the front page headline in the Daily Variety read, Hearst bans RKO from papers. Hearst began this ban by suppressing promotion of RKO's Kitty Fall, Folly. Uh, but in two weeks, the ban was lifted for everything except Kane. Now, when Schaefer did not submit to Parsons, she called other studio heads and made more threats on behalf of Hearst to expose the private lives of those in the entire film industry. Ooh, dirty pool. Wells was threatened with an expose about his romance with the married actress Dolores Del Rio, who wanted the affair kept secret until after her divorce was finalized. In a statement to journalists, Wells denied that the film was about Hearst. Hearst, on the other hand, began preparing an injunction against the film for libel and invasion of privacy. But Wells' lawyer t- 
told him that he doubted Hearst would proceed due to the negative publicity and required testimony that an injunction would bring. Interesting to note that probably one of the sticking points in all of this was the use of the term rosebud. Uh, let me put it to you this way. Rosebud was a pet name for a certain part of Luella Parsons' anatomy. And I'll just leave it at that. The Hollywood Reporter ran a front-page story on July 13th that Hearst Papers were about to run a series of editorials attacking Hollywood's practice of hiring refugees and immigrants for jobs that can be done by Americans. The goal was to put pressure on the other studios to force RKO to shelve Kane. Many of those immigrants had fled to Europe after the rise of fascism and feared losing the haven of the United States, including the likes of Bernard Herrmann, by the way. Soon afterwards, Schaefer was approached by Nicholas Schrenick, head of Metro Golden Mayor, or MGM, its parent company, with an offer on behalf of Louis B. Mayer and other Hollywood executives to RKO Pictures of a huge sum at the time, get this, $805,000 to destroy all prints of film and burn the negative. Now, once RKO's legal team reassured Schaefer that the studio announced on July, or sorry, January 21st that Kane would be released as scheduled and with one of the largest promotional campaigns in the studio's history. Schaefer brought Wells to New York City for a private screening of the film of with, uh, with the New York corporate heads of the studios and their lawyers. There was no objection to its release provided that certain changes, including the removal of and, or softening of specific references that might offend Hearst, were made. Wells agreed to cut the running time from 122 minutes to 119 minutes. The cuts satisfied the corporate lawyers. So let's take, continue on with some music from Citizen Kane. This time, uh, taking uh, uh, music from the 1999 re-recording on Verez Saraband. This is under the baton of jo- of composer Joel McNeely. He did a few of these uh, Herman scores in the 90s and was actually a, a rather accomplished composer himself. But a lot of these um, special re-releases um, gave films, yeah, especially I've done um, re-recordings of The Day the Earth Stood Still, of Vertigo, and Psycho are all under the baton of of uh, Joel McNeely. So, have a listen. This is music from Citizen Kane from 1941, uh, portrayed here by the Scottish... Scottish Royal... Sorry, the Royal Scottish National Orchestra. Again, like I said, under the baton of Joel McNeely. So, we'll be back in just a little bit.
Barnacle stands for Bernstein? Certainly not. Listen, Mr. Kane, he'll have them change to his kind of newspaper man in a week. There's always a chance, of course, that they'll change Mr. Kane without his knowing it. And with a little bit of music from the 1941 film Citizen Kane, that's music by Bernard Herrmann, with part of the scene that takes place in the Chronicle, the newspaper that Kane runs, um, basically setting up his rise to being uh, to wanting to be the president of the United States at that time, which I won't uh, won't reveal as to what happens, but. Mm. I'll just leave it at that. If you are interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I am on the Twitter at visionsound. You can also try my website at visionsinsound.ca. There is a store there. You can get some uh, wonderful Visions in Sound wear as well. It's 30% off or 33% off, I think, right now. And uh, unfortunately, you won't get it before Christmas, but you can at least order and get some stuff that way. I'm also on um, several podcast podcatchers uh, is a term that Eric Woods comes up with. Uh, two of the main ones are Good Pods. It's an app that you can download on your phone to listen to the shows. There are several of them on there, so you can have a listen to that. Also, have uh, you can also find me on Apple Music as well. Just type in Visions and Sound, you'll find me that way. So, like I said, welcome back to Visions and Sound. As this week we are celebrating the 80th anniversary of Citizen Kane. Now, despite all the publicity, the film was a box office flop and was quickly consigned to the RKO vaults. At the 1941's Academy Awards, the film was booed. Every time one of its nine nominations was announced. This was nasty Hollywood back then. It was also only re-released to the public in the mid-50s. Orson Welles told filmmaker Peter Bogdanovich that he regretted how Marion Davies' reputation had suffered due to her popular misidentification with the character Susan Alexander. Welles claimed that uh, tycoon Harold Fowler, McCormick, lavish promotion of the opera career for his second wife was direct influence for her character. As for Marion Davies, well said, she was an extraordinary woman, uh, nothing like the character uh, Dorothy Cummingore played in the movie. Years later, Wells wrote the introduction to Davies' autobiography. Now, the audience that watches Kane make his first speech is, in fact, a still photo. This is interesting. To give the illusion of movement, this is, this is the kind of stuff that um, Robert Wise came up with and, and, and that sort of thing. To give the illusion of movement, hundreds of holes were pricked with a pin and lights moved behind to give movement. Now, during... This, this is what I talk about when I talk about nasty Hollywood. <clears throat> during the filming... Um, Orson Welles received a warning that Hearst had arranged for a naked woman to jump into his arms when he entered his hotel room. And there was also a photographer in the room to take a picture that would be used to discredit him. Welles spent the night elsewhere, and it is unknown if the 
warning was true. This is the funny part about all of this, is the fact that um, this was... Hollywood was weird back in its early days. Um, There are some interesting stories that come with some of the classic films. One of them being that the actual end of Casablanca, the, uh, the scene where they're on the plane... Um, they didn't have rear screen projection at that time, so the idea of it, uh, um, the idea was they made miniature luggage, they made a miniature plane. The using forced perspective, they actually brought in. Um, I uh, I think the proper term is little people to uh, to to be the background. So and y- you think. Yeah, Hollywood was kind of weird enough to do that at that time. So yeah, this is just it's it's nasty Hollywood or weird Hollywood at that time. And if you've ever watched the the film L.A. Confidential, you can see just how sneaky and conniving a lot of the studios were. Papers at that time too, um, just to to get the story out. Also, recently, um, if you've watched Get Back, um, journalism um, makes, made up a lot of stuff about the Beatles. True or not, it probably sold a lot of papers and magazines. So, yeah, there's that. So the film's opening, actually, uh, with just the title and no star names, was unprecedented in 1941. Uh, it is now the industry norm for Hollywood blockbusters. So I'm going to continue on with some more music from Citizen Kane. This is some continuation of the Royal Scottish Orchestra re-recording of the score under the baton of Joel McNeely. Uh, like I said, McNeely was a accomplished and still is an accomplished composer. In fact, he's working on the Orville, uh, the series Orville, um, in the upcoming in, for upcoming seasons, and has worked on the series in the past. He's also worked on Family Guy, so yeah, um, he's got a, a, a nice uh, credentials there. So yeah, I'm going to continue on with some more music from Citizen Kane, and uh, I'll be back in just a little bit. Thank you. 
just talked. Anything that comes into your mind about yourself and Mr. Kane. <laughs> you wouldn't want to hear a lot of what comes into my mind about myself and Mr. Charlie Kane. <laughs> you know, maybe I should never have thought for Charlie that first time I met him. But I did an awful lot of singing after that. Start with, I sang for teachers. A hundred bucks an hour. Teachers got that. I what did you get? I didn't get a thing. Just music lessons. That's all I was in it. He married you, didn't he? I didn't mention anything about marriage till after it was all over and I got in the papers about us. He lost the election and divorced him. He was really interested in my voice. What I suppose he put that opera house for? I didn't want it. I didn't want to sing. It was his idea. Everything was his idea. Why be with him? Il mio cor, don't forget ta 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 ta. Don't get nervous, don't get nervous. Please, let's come back. Da capo, eh? Please look at me, Mrs. Kane, darling. Now, get the ball.
give me anything I really care about. case we see with music from the uh the movie citizen kane from 1941 yeah um that's actually from uh, some dialogue it's kind of a cheat the soundtrack factory did um basically taking the stripping the uh dialogue and and uh, music directly off the film itself Helps me kind of demonstrate my point for the the show. Um, I don't know if they if if uh, even the soundtrack factory still exists. In a lot of cases, I know they released quite a few soundtracks a couple of years ago, and I do have a few of them. In any case, if you are interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show. By all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound@gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I would, I am on the Twitter at visionsound. Love to hear you through that. Or you can try my website, visionsinsound.ca. I am also on various podcasts. You can go to either Good Pods or the uh, or, or Apple Music, and you can find me that way. Just type in Visions and Sound. You can find me that way. I'm actually if I'm not mistaken, at least the last time I checked, um, top 10 of independent podcasts. So I'm in that in, in that range. Nice. Uh, also, you can find me on, uh, yeah, I think I mentioned Apple Music, and there is a sale on my store. So 30, 30% off. Wonderful. Merchandise, visions and sound stuff. Uh, you can even get stuff from Eric's, Eric Wood's Cinematic Sound website as well. Check it out fantastic stuff. In any case, welcome back to Visions and Sound as this week we are celebrating the 80th anniversary of Citizen Kane. Now, William Randolph Hearst was so angered by the film that he accused Orson Welles of being a communist in order to keep the film from being released. And it's a huge deal at that time. To keep studio executives off Kane or off Orwell's back, ooh, Kane, um, Orson Welles claimed the cast were in rehearsal during the first few days of shooting. In fact, they were actually shooting the film. It took a number of days before the studio heads caught on. Throughout production, Orson Welles had problems with various film executives, not respecting his contract stipulation of non-interference, and several spies arrived on the set to report what they saw to the executives. When the executives would sometimes arrive on the set unannounced, 
the entire cast and crew would suddenly start playing softball until they left. Now, according to Ruth Warwick, Orson Welles was not in good shape at the beginning of production. When principal photography began, Welles was suffering from the effects of caffeine poisoning as a result of consuming 30 to 40 cups of coffee a day. Yikes. Wells then switched to tea, figuring that the hassle of having to brew the beverage would naturally limit his intake. But Wells had someone on call to brew the tea for him. And within two weeks, Wells was the color of tannic acid. And it was also reported that he would go for long periods without eating and then put away two or three large steaks with side items at one sitting. During the scenes where Kane buys his first his his newspaper and delivers the line about going bankrupt in 60 years, Orson Welles appears to be dressed as himself at his actual age. Welles has indicated in interviews that uh, he was even more made up playing a young man than he was playing Kane as an old one. Temporary facelifts and hairstyling as well as camera tricks make him look look much more beautiful than he actually was. Wells said that he spent years living down how far he'd come down from his youthful looks when, in fact, he'd never really looked that good. Interesting to note that the original uh, nitrate negatives of the film were lost in a fire in 1970. And I think I've mentioned this before, but this is first film score of Bernard Herrmann. He would go on to be one of Hollywood's top composers from the 40s to the 70s, scoring, among others, several Alfred Hitchcock's most famous works, including the likes of, uh, of Psycho and Vertigo. So we're going to continue on with some more music from the film Citizen Kane as uh, we are celebrating the 80th anniversary of, of, said, of said film. So... Uh, sit back and uh, again this is from the uh, recording of the um, uh, the re-recording done in 1999 by uh, Joel, uh, Joel McNeely with the the National Royal sorry the Royal Scottish National Orchestra I'll get that right eventually and uh, it's a it's a like I said really neat score I think this is out of print unfortunately um, but it's definitely worth checking out that along with several other of, uh, of McNeely's uh, re-recordings that were done uh, back, in the, uh, back in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, including the likes of Herman's um, score to the 51 film uh, The Day of the Earth Stood Still and that sort of thing. So check it out. Um, I'm going to continue on with a little bit more music and then uh, we're going to take a little bit of a detour, sort of. I'll explain when we get back. So here's some more music from Citizen Kane as we're celebrating the 80th anniversary of the film. Back in a bit.
with just a little bit of music from the 1941 film Citizen Kane. That's music by, of course, Bernard Herrmann as we're celebrating the 80th anniversary of said film. But if you are interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I am on the Twitter at Visions Sound. You can also find me on uh, my website, visionsinsound.ca. There is a store there if you want to become stylish and wear some Visions in Sound wear. You never know. You might want to do that someday. And also, I can be found on many, many podcatchers, main one being po- uh, Good Pods, which is a downloadable app for your phone or other said de- or other like devices and you can also find me on apple music as well just type in visions and sound and find me that way so welcome back to visions and sound as we are celebrating the 80th anniversary of citizen kane now over the years there have been a few films that have looked at the story of the making of citizen kane most notably and i've mentioned this on the live stream uh the 1999 film rko 281 uh, talks about the um, essentially the fight for Citizen Kane and the fact that uh, there is actually a documentary that is was released with the um, the Citizen Kane DVD that is actually called The Fight for Citizen Kane. It's a, a really good, I think it's called American Masters or something like that. And it is a series that was on PBS for a long time. Um, it really, if you are truly interested in the film Citizen Kane, I highly recommend you seeking out uh, the DVD of uh, of Citizen Kane. It has the uh, the fight for Citizen Kane on it. Definitely worth it. Definitely worth checking out. And uh, of course, the original film. Watch it with the uh, Roger Ebert commentary. It is really fascinating. And like I said, I think it's one of his last spoken commentaries. On, on the film, on, 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 uh, on films. So with that in mind, um, there's also been, most recently, back in 2020, a film called Mank, which is basically the story of how uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz was brought in to, to write Citizen Kane and the things that they had to do to get him to write this Score or write this uh, this this uh, this this film. It's rather interesting. Um, there are a few moments where Wells shows up and does some some very interesting, an interesting take on on Wells in this. I really think that that if you are truly interested in these in the history of film and that sort of thing, check out Citizen Kane. Highly worth it. Uh, just take the, the time out and watch it. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. Um, and what I'm going to do is, again, the uh, the film Mank was released last year on Netflix only. Uh, this, re- this film shows the writing process of Citizen Kane. Mank was scored by um, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. So here is some music from Mank. As we're getting close to wrapping up the show, and I'll be back in just a little bit.
And with a little bit of music from the more recent film, Mank. That's music by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Gary Oldman acts the hell out of this film. Unfortunately, it's not enough to... Um, it's, I can't say it's a bad movie, but it's it's just not as engaging as I was hoping it was going to be um, with the whole idea of of Citizen uh, its connection to Citizen Kane. With that in mind, Citizen Kane was the only film made under Wells' original contract with RKO Pictures, which gave him complete creative control. Wells' new business manager and attorney permitted the contract to lapse. In July of 1941, Wells reluctantly signed a new and less favorable deal with RKO under which he produced and directed The Magnificent Ambersons from 1942 and produced Journey into Fear from 1943. And it and began a film called It's All True, a film he agreed to do without payment. In the new contract, Wells was an employee of the studio and lost his right to final cut, which later allowed RKO to modify and recut the Magnificent Ambersons over his objections. In June of 1942, Schaefer resigned the presidency of RKO Pictures and Wells' contract was terminated by his successor. Now, Citizen Kane has been called the most influential film of all time. Cinematography influenced John Huston's The Maltese Falcon. Cinematographer Arthur Edison used a wider angle lens than Toland, and the film includes many low, ta- low takes, long takes rather, low angles, and shots of s- the ceiling. Which I know that it's been stated that films, film sets did have ceilings at that time, but it was rare, and you did, and I think. Kane may not have been the first film, but it was one of the first films to do that. Now, um, the uh, the sh- the the film though uh, Maltese Falcon did not use the deep focus shots and the l- on large sets to the extent that Citizen Kane did. Edison and Toland are often credited together for revolutionizing cinematography in 1941. Its cinematography, lighting, and flashback structure influenced. Such film noirs as in the 1940s and 50s as The Killers, Keeper of the Flame, Caught, The Great Man, and This Gun for Hire. Uh, The films of Paul Thomas Anderson have been compared to Citizen Kane. Variety compared There Will Be Blood to the film, calling it one of the great, one of the rivals, giant, and Citizen Kane in our popular lore as origin stories as to how we we came to be the people we are. Many directors have listed it as one of the greatest films ever made, including Woody Allen, Michael Apted, Les Blank, Kenneth Branagh, Paul Greengrass, Michael Mann, Sam Mendes, Martin Scorsese, Roger Corman, among many others. As for me, I continue to enjoy, enjoy the film on a semi-regular basis of an example of not only a great film, but a look at what might have been. Had Wells not had the problems he had in 1941, he may have been considered for other high prof- higher profile projects and may, not, and may have done some amazing work and innovated more as well as influenced more. 
But that's it for me this week. Thanks for hanging in, those that did. Now, before I end off today's program, I hope as you're getting on with your day that you realize just how awesome you are. Never let anyone tell you any different. If you're ever not feeling right, there are people out there that care about you and are willing to chat. If not family, then some professional who can help. As Rocky said, nobody hits harder than life. I know from personal experience how hard it is for me sometimes to sit behind this mic week after week when I feel like no one's listening. I would never have made it this far without the support of a team of people behind me. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help, resources are available. In case of an emergency, please call 911 for immediate help. The Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention, Depression Hurts, and Kids Help Phone at 1-800-668-6868 all offer ways of getting help if you or someone you know may be suffering from mental health issues. Well, join me next week as we conclude 2021 with my annual Visions in Christmas on, in this case, Christmas Day. I'll end off the show this week with some more music from Citizen Kane, and I will be back next week with more Visions in Sound. Rosebud. Sure.